Our reading today is taken from Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 37. This should be on the screen behind me. Luke 6:37. Judging others. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye a tree and its fruit. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The wise and foolish builders. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment that torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. This is God's word. Well, it's uh, good to be together hearing God's words, and I don't know about you, but uh, there's always a tendency to judge others without knowing the full story. Don't you think that's true? You ever like that? I'm a bit like that sometimes. And uh, we must be careful before we judge, for we seldom know the full story. For example, there was a large company was seeking to raise the standard of dress for its employees, and one day the person responsible for raising the standards, was in a lift. And then a younger man came into the lift, lift who was dressed quite casually. She remarked, well, it was a bit casual today, don't you think? To which he responded with a smile, well, it's one of the privileges of owning the company. <laughs> boom, boom. Or another, another one where a woman came home and said to her husband, honey, I'm sorry, but the car won't start, and I know what the problem is. He asked her what it was, and she told him that there was water in the carburetor. He thought for a moment, he said, mate, I don't mean to be uh, offensive, but 
I don't think you know the difference between a carburetor and the accelerator. Well, it's a bit rude. No, no, it's definitely the carburetor. Okay, honey, uh, can you just uh, tell me where it is and I'll go and have a look? Okay, it's just down in the lake. <laughs> it's important to know the full story, isn't it? How quickly we judge. And I think Jesus in this passage, amongst other things, and, and you notice there's a whole eclectic uh, mixture of teachings in this passage. You know, he's gone from this to this to this. We'll bring it all together at this morning. Teachers not to be judgmental and hypocritical, but gracious and wise. They're the two words I remember today, gracious and wise, what we do. Firstly, be gracious, not judgmental. I'll spend most of the time on this section. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Let me say firstly that the expression, do not judge, has often been misapplied. It doesn't say Christians should be unthinking, undiscerning blobs who never hold opinions about right and wrong, good and evil, about Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein, uh, Islamic militants, adultery, laziness, deceit, economic exploitation. We are called to care about these things and to make good judgments, aren't we? You see, the New Testament excludes such a crazy interpretation Often people say, oh, you can't judge me. The Bible says, do not judge. Well, slow down. What does it mean? Well, see, Matthew 7, verse 15, we read, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. That's in the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus says, make judgments. So hold on, do we judge or don't we judge, right? Of course we're meant to call ju- make judgments. In Matthew 23, the Lord Jesus himself if we're going to model our lives on him, calls out the Pharisees and the religious leaders. In fact, there's a whole chapter in there where he goes at them verse after verse after verse, pointing out their errors and critiquing them. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. Come on, Jesus, take it easy. You're judging here. We're not meant to judge, right? You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. That's a slapdown. So Jesus is judging and he's warning us and giving us instruction to judge and critique and evaluate. Paul is prepared to hand an unrepentant, per, promiscuous person to Satan. 1 Corinthians first, verse, chapter 5, verse 5. There's someone uh, committing sexual immorality not even done by the pagans of the day, you need to exclude him because he's unrepentant, exclude him from the church. It's called church discipline. So the church has a part to play to enforce discipline. That requires judgment. In Galatians 1 verse 8, Paul strongly judges and condemns those who preach a different gospel from the one he preaches. So you have that happening as well. And what are modern examples? For example, we at, at this church, we have a set of beliefs So for you to become a member of our church, you need to uphold our beliefs. For example, you need to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, in a bodily resurrection. So therefore, if you don't believe that, we judge you as someone who cannot join our church. You can come to our services, anyone's welcome, but you cannot become a member. But Jesus said something helpful in John 7, 24. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. So there's judgment everywhere. 
commended by God, a good thing, and it helps us. What does he mean here, do not judge, in this passage? The Greek to judge can mean to discern, to judge judicially, as in a court, to be judgmental, to condemn. Now, I think the context he argues that the verse means do not be judgmental. In other words, don't be the type of person who has a critical spirit. Don't judge people harshly. Don't have a condemning attitude. Rather, be filled with grace and forgiveness. There's a real temptation, even in church as well as outside, for us to judge others, critique them, and put them down, and not see our own sin and our own failures. There's a temptation to judge others and not realize that we're all saved by the grace of God through the death of Christ on our behalf. It's Being judgmental means it's, uh, you focus on other people's faults. John Stott puts it this way, the judgmental person puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous towards their mistakes. Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. You know, years ago, I was at uh, another church. Uh, it was at Asheville Baptist Church, in fact. And uh, I was a young uh, a student pastor there, and uh, I would uh, raise my hands and worship from time to time. And there was a fellow who visited our church for a period, and he was between churches. Uh, he was fanatically anti-charismatic. Fanatically anti-charismatic. I believe they were off the devil. And... Uh, he then uh, watched our church, had been there for a couple of weeks, so he rang the pastor to tell him what was wrong with the church. So, oh, I have some problems with the church, and he listed all these things, and then he said, that angst guy, you've got to get rid of him. He said, why? He said, well, you know, I know he's Pentecostal, and, uh, you know, he's going to lead the church into difficulty and trouble, and yeah, you've got to get rid of that guy. So the pastor told me that. But do you know that this man who critiqued me and judged me and wrote me off had never had a conversation with me, never discussed my theology, and yet he had made himself the authority to judge and to critique and to write someone off. I think that is what Jesus is talking about here. Do not judge or you will be judged. We as Christians need to be gracious and generous in our dealings with others. So friends, let me say, we are Christians we hope for the best. We forgive each other's sins. We don't write people off, even when they mess up badly. We come alongside them to help restore them, to love them, and to help them through their difficulties. Maybe even big mistakes. Maybe even mistakes where people are in prison today. for their, Or maybe going to court today and awaiting a possible sentence. We are Christians called to love and to serve and to help people navigate those difficult times. Because God was gracious to us in Christ. Christ saw our sins in our failures and instead of condemning us, went to the cross in our place to restore us to right relationship with God. He forgives our sins and calls us to forgive others. But I love the fact we are not to judge nor to condemn, but we're to be generous as well. And he says, given it will be given to you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. But with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I'm assuming Jesus is talking about physical generosity here, money, maybe just a general, generous spirit as well. But the whole point is that 
When you give to others, God will bless you. God will give back to you. It may not be finances. It may be brothers and sisters and, and, um, and other blessings. But God, as you are give to others, God will bless you back, he says. Let me take a moment to think uh, why we need to be slow to judge. In his book, The Grace Awakening, Charles uh, Swindoll uh, talks about uh, five reasons you need to be slow in judging. And I'll, maybe you can evaluate yourself for a moment. Number one, we never know all the facts. And let me say, you never know all the facts when someone gets divorced. Sometimes I will know things about f- situations because they tell me what has happened, but we're not going to share that with everyone. Sometimes you don't know all the facts. Or someone has had to move to another country, or someone resigned from, from a job, and you think, what's going on? You don't know all the facts. We are unable to read another person's motives. We don't know what's going on. We find it impossible to be totally objective. We are prejudiced and we have a blurred perspective. Maybe our age or our ethnicity or political upbringing, our personality. Or this is not how we do things here because we've only done it a certain way. We ourselves are imperfect and inconsistent. Finally, we put ourselves in a position we're not qualified to fill, namely we play God. And I think they're helpful things to remember as we think of the whole judging area and critiquing others. Uh, we need to be slow to judge. Let me give you two illustrations. Uh, about 20 years ago, uh, 22 years ago, a young woman in our church took her own life. And, um, and then I, was, I had to meet her father, and I, I don't think I'd met him before, and, uh, and so I've just been given a, a second car that I had by the grace of God so I can go to see him and meet him and, and pick him up. And then we drove to the police station. And I, I'd known the young woman and uh, she took an overdose of pills. She'd struggled with mental health issues for many years. Mid-20s. Um, and I remember picking up her father and going from place to place. And, and we stopped off later at a chicken shop in Sutherland. I'll never forget it, to grab a bite to eat just to keep his sustenance up. And, uh, and we've probably all done this, but the worker behind, because he looked quite down, and I was sort of looking up and said, what's up, mate? You look like someone died. Ouch. And I'm trying to, to save this situation. Right. And quietly going, no, no, shh. his daughter has just died. And just realized, she was mortified, obviously, as you would be and I would be, right? I've probably done things like that. You just flippantly make a comment and you're not aware because you don't know everything. It looks like, hey, what's wrong with the guy? No, no, no. Take a moment before you speak. And there's another situation I, and I read in a Chuck Swindoll book that just, every time I read it, I, I want to break down at the end of it. Semi-humorous and then devastating. It's about a young attorney in a Texas law firm and like all Americans, uh, Thanksgiving is a really important day. And uh, so the boss, to bless his workers, uh, each year would have a, a large walnut table in the boardroom. He set up, sets up a row of turkeys uh, to say thank you to the workers. And uh, on that special day, everyone comes up, they pick up their turkey, they thank the boss for the opportunity to work at this place, and they thank the boss for this turkey to celebrate Thanksgiving together. Day comes up, young attorney does it. But what he doesn't know, that because he's single and he doesn't really need a large turkey, his friends are playing a trick on him. 
and they replaced his turkey with one made of paper machine. And they put in a, a, a weight in it so it feels like a real turkey. Guy gets up, thank you boss, takes his turkey, so good to work here, goes home. Not quite at home, on the way home. He's on a bus waiting. And another guy comes on, a guy looks a little bit down, a little bit depressed and discouraged, and he sits next to the young attorney. And they begin chatting, and the guy doesn't have work, he doesn't have money to buy anything for his family uh, to celebrate Thanksgiving. Attorney was struck with a brilliant idea, why don't I just give him my turkey? I don't need my turkey. You know where this is going. And then the guy thinks, well, maybe I shouldn't give it to him because the guy might think, you know, what? You know, I could afford something. The guy says, well, okay, maybe I'll sell it to him. Maybe the guy is more likely to take the turkey if I sell it to him. And I said, mate, how much have you got? He said, I've got a couple of dollars and a couple of coins. He said, okay, I'll sell it to you. The guy said, oh, thank you. My family would be so happy tonight. So they exchange a couple of coins for a turkey. The guy says, God bless you, he said as he got off the bus and waved goodbye. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'll never forget you. Next Monday, the attorney gets to, gets to work and his friends are dying to know his reaction to the turkey. Can you imagine the distress when he told them about the man on the bus or when they told him what was really in that package? Understand that they all got on the bus, all these attorneys, every day that week looking in vain for a man who as far as I know to this day still thinks some guy intentionally sold him a fake turkey for his last couple of bucks and some loose change. And he writes, Swindoll says, you know, that man judged the young lawyer. But he didn't know the full story. He didn't know all the facts. He didn't know the young man's motive. He couldn't be totally objective. Therefore, he was not qualified to be the man's judge. Friends, in some uh, almost 30 years of full-time ministry, I've seen so many different things that sometimes we judge and we critique, we put people down. So often we do not know the full story. And then he goes on to uh, urge us to perform surgery on your own judgmentalism and hypocrisy. See, Matthew's Gospel and the Sermon on the Mount, these verses are linked to not judging. It says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourselves fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, our judgmental spirit is often hypocritical. You see, other people's sins stand out, don't they? It's, it's easier to see other people's sins and mistakes than to see your own. Well, you know about your own, but you cover up your own. He says, Jesus says, sort out your own sins, then you'll be a great help to the others. And be aware that the word plank here, it's not like just a, a little piece of timber, as you see in this uh, photograph on the screen. It's a large piece of timber and was used for the main beam and either the floor or the roof of the building. And Jesus is saying, well, large beam, right? Get that out of your eye first before you dare to critique and judge someone else. It's a crazy picture. 
You can see the hypocrite coming from a mile away, walking towards you with his plank. Here he comes, <laughs> through his eye, right, coming your way. Friends, even good people fail. In the Old Testament, the prophet Nathan exposed King David's plank in 2 Samuel. You know, the story of King David, he stole another man's wife. Despite his large harem, he lusted after this woman Bathsheba. He seduced her and later discovered that she had become pregnant to him. That's a big mess, right? It's just the Bible is not interesting. Her husband was absent in the military front, fighting the king's wars, and so David arranged to have him killed. The king was now guilty of adultery and murder. So the prophet turns up, the prophet Nathan. He entered the royal court. Instead of confronting the king, because he wouldn't listen, he told a parable. And it's a cute little parable. It's a short story about a poor farmer whose one little lamb was stolen by a rich, powerful neighbor with a large flock of his own. This poor guy, he's only got one. This other guy's got a, a large flock of his own. He steals it. He takes it. This rich person, he says. And David, King David, of course, because he's righteous, full of judgment, incensed and burnt with anger. How dare this guy do it? Tell me who he is and I'll fix him up, right? Says King David, you just let me know who it is. This man deserves to die, King David says. You see, it's a huge beam, isn't there, in his eye? Huge beam. And Nathan replies, you're the man. He deserves to die, you're the man. And change your life, you're the man, David, King David. You've taken another man's wife and you've killed her husband. Blind to his own sin, unconscious of the plank in his own eye, he fumed over the speck of sawdust in the rich farmer's eye. Friends, love, grace, and generosity should characterize our attitude and our behavior, for that is how Jesus treats us. Not criticism and fault-finding, but grace and mercy. But secondly, follow good, wise, and fruitful leaders. He told them this parable, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Now, I think he's starting to get into a reference here in his... Uh, and he's teaching about who you follow, what teachers. There are false teachers and there, there are faithful teachers. And you need to be careful because he says to them, if you follow a blind leader, he's simply going to lead you into a pit. He's not going to lead you into the truth. So be smart and helpful about who you follow. And blindness in the Bible often has a spiritual uh, theme. So they're blind. Uh, Jesus is speaking about spiritual blindness here. I think he's talking about religious leadership here. And in Matthew's Gospel, which is the parallel passage, he says, watch out for false prophets. Right? See, Jesus says in Luke's Gospel, the blind, be careful who you follow, lead you into a pit. Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Blind leaders, spiritually blind leaders. And in Luke 6, 43 to 45, he then goes and continues this theme. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes 
or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. And so I asked you this morning, how's your heart? Talking about not judging, but being gracious, but I ask you this question, how's your heart? And let me say, we can often tell how your heart is. Do you know how we can tell? By what you say and what you do and the fruit that is produced in your life. We ask, how's your heart? Do you exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit or the fruit of the flesh? You see, in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the flesh is violence and selfishness and anger and rage and domestic abuse and envy and drunkenness and disease and immorality and control and manipulation. Who controls your heart? How's your heart? Who controls it? And what, what comes out of your heart? And what comes out of your mouth? See, if you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And Jesus is warning his disciples that you'll be able to recognize those who are truly authentic Christians. But what, how they live, the fruit of their lives. You'll be able to recognize false teachers. So they say one thing, but the fruit of their lives is anger, judgmentalism, critique, hatred, division. They may sound spiritual, but you see the fruit of their lives. Who controls your heart? And often we talk about, uh, they often use the illustration of the car, you know, who's driving the car of your life. And uh, when you come to Christ, instead of, and I like driving, by the way, I hate handing out uh, the steering wheel to anyone else. Anyone else like that? My wife, she's, she enjoys sitting in the passenger seat and reading her books. She's fine. We've, we've got a system. But uh, I, I feel sick if I sit in the other seat. But, uh, so I like holding the steering wheel. But it's like that in our lives, isn't it? God, don't tell me how to live my life. I'll do my own thing. And when you become a Christian, you step over to the side and say, God, take over control. You drive my life. Guide me where you want me to go, to live how I ought to live. God, take control of my car. For the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. How's your heart? Who controls your heart? And Jesus finishes this section by, by saying, come hear and obey Jesus' teaching. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And Jesus knows there'll be people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I love Jesus, and don't do what he says. For everyone who comes to me, there's a coming to Jesus, and hearing my words, listening to him, and puts them into practice, I will show what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on, on the ground without a foundation. Matthew's Gospel says, on the sand. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Two houses, one stands, one is destroyed. There's a television report a few years ago during some storms in California. And there were houses along the coastline. You've probably seen similar stories in Australia as well. Too close to the coastline sometimes. A TV reporter doing the story uh, was standing uh, with uh, two houses either side of him, behind him. And as he stood in front, one had completely collapsed 
and while we're still standing. Marvellous picture there. And uh, he explained that the only reason why one was standing, it had drilled down deep and ensured the house was built on a firm foundation the other hadn't. And friends, that's the picture Jesus is giving us. Comes to the end of the sermon on the plain. What will you do with Jesus' teaching? Will you take him seriously? Will you come to him? Will you listen to him? Will you trust him? Will you obey him? Or will you hear his words and do nothing about it? And you may have been here for a long time in this church. You hear Jesus' words, you may be watching on live stream. You're hearing it. You know it's true, but you've done nothing about that. Friends, the difference between the two houses is therefore linked to the difference between obedience and disobedience. And Jesus declares that an intellectual knowledge of Scripture is not enough. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Now we Baptist Church, you can come to sit here for two services on a Sunday. You can read your Bible daily. You can attend Bible studies a week. You can go to Christian conventions at Katoomba. But on Judgment Day, if there's no evidence of obedience, if there's no evidence of fruit, on Judgment Day, you will fall with a great crash. I think that's what Jesus is telling us here. Let me sum up. Be gracious, not judgmental. You have been shown grace by God in Christ. Follow good and wise and faithful leaders and you will know them by their fruit. Come to Jesus, listen to Jesus and obey him. Show yourself to be an authentic Christian so that when the storms of life come and the storms of the final judgment comes, you will stand because you have trusted in Christ and you've lived out this new life as evidence that you have truly trusted in Christ. 